If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's Word, turn to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. So we continue looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Our focus this morning is just Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. I will read Matthew 5, 1 through, 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. When he sat down, the disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Praise God for his holy word. Please be seated. So we have seen in the Gospel of Matthew this once tax collector, follower of Jesus Christ, writing to his fellow Jews, pointing them to the truth that Jesus Christ was a long-awaited Messiah. The ministry of Christ has begun. The ministry of Jesus, the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, is a ministry of teaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and of healing. Jesus came to save his people from their sins, and he will save all of his children. Matthew 1, verse 21. When Jesus, Son of God, began his public preaching, he used these nine words. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The ministry of Christ included not just the cross where he shed his blood and he died, but also his teaching and proclamation of the kingdom of heaven. Christ called his disciples to follow him. They left everything and did just that. And now they are sitting on the side of a mountain at the feet of Christ, listening to him teach. Having received the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount last week, we now begin with the first beatitude this morning. Matthew 5, verse 3. May we approach the Lord today with humility and reverent hearts, coming before him hungry to learn. And as a quick reminder from last week, this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, it shows us how we live out the great commandment, how we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It teaches us that the kingdom of heaven is not a physical kingdom that we can hold with our hands, but a spiritual everlasting kingdom. This sermon promises blessing for obedience. It reminds us that we are living before the face of God every day, quorum Deo. And the wise man and the wise woman will fear the Lord. It causes us to turn to Christ with greater faith when this sermon is rightly approached. And this sermon is countercultural from the world. We desperately need to take to heart these words. 
We need our mind meditating on the, on the perfect words of God for the purpose of living a transformed life that worships him. If our foundation is not that of Christ, if our foundation in our living is not that of the word of God, what in the world is our foundation? The Jews did not understand the coming king or the kingdom of heaven because as a whole, they were looking for a materialistic, political, earthly kingdom and not a spiritual kingdom. Let us not miss the spiritual kingdom of God in this sermon. These A beatitudes that Jesus teaches are to be taken seriously in our lives and not just lumped under the title of God's grace. Martin Lowe joins this week. He declared some words that caused me to really think and ponder a lot. He said, Is it not true to say of many of us that in actual practice, our view of the doctrine of grace is such that we scarcely ever take the plain teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ seriously? We have so emphasized the teaching that all is of grace that we ought not to try and imitate his example in order to make ourselves Christians, that we are virtually in the position of ignoring his teaching altogether and of saying that it has nothing to do with us because we are under grace. Modern teacher Kevin Young, he further commented on these words by saying, we've turned the Sermon on the Mount into a giant spanking spoon. Good for making you squeal in pain, but not a welcome instrument or a way of life. You know, these two comments put together help us begin the Beatitudes this morning. The Sermon on the Mount helps us as God's children understand what it means to follow Jesus. We need these Beatitudes. Verses 3 through 10, they concern us with the character of the Christian. The character of those who follow Christ. The character of those who say, I belong to Jesus. The character of those when, if the Lord tarries, that when we die and someone is preaching at our funeral, that you're saying that I belong to the Lord. The character that Christ produces, the character that we are to have as His children. Seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. It is they who see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the character that we are to have as followers of Jesus. Before I dive more into verse 3, I want you to know where I'm leading us today. The first thing, the Beatitudes and their progression. It's a scary thing if we open up this sermon and we start to grab one of the Beatitudes and we rip it out of context and we form it to believe and to think whatever we want to believe and think. There is a progression with these Beatitudes. Number two, the blessed man or woman. 
the blessed man or woman. So often in this life, we hear so much about what it means to be blessed, what it means to be blessed by God. What does it really mean to be blessed? The poor in spirit. Who are those who are poor in spirit? And finally, how do we know if we are poor in spirit? So let's begin the Beatitudes and their progression. The word beatitude itself refers to a state of happiness or that of bliss. Happy, blessed. You know, the God of the Bible is often viewed as a lawmaker and judge. This is absolutely true, but he is also the source of spiritual and abundant life. There is happiness to be found in this life, and the answer is the Lord. Like God made you, he made you for his glory. Therefore, we as his children are to go to him as our God and creator for our happiness to be blessed. God's creation, us, made in his image, we are to go to him, our creator, for meaning and purpose. And so often we find meaning and purpose outside of God, which is a false meaning and a false purpose. It is sin. That God the Father sent God the Son to this earth to save, to rescue sinners. The gospel means good news. It's not bad. Knowing who God is, His holiness, and understanding who God says that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that Christ on earth is good news. This sermon is good news for us today as Christians. It tells us how to live our lives before Him. So let's focus upon these Beatitudes and take them one at a time as well as in order. For these Beatitudes, they are progressive. That is, they are not at random, but in order. Just like our God, He is a God of order. The first leads to the second, the second to the third, and so on. Number one leads to number two. Therefore, we must be careful to not rip them out to form them as many have wrongly done. And many have also, even commentators and pastors and churches have looked at the Sermon on the Mount and said, that is not for us because we are under grace. Dear child, this is for us. The poor in spirit, that leads us to mourning. Mourning leads to meekness, and meekness leads to being hungry and thirsty for the righteousness that is found in Christ. The Lord is a source of abundant life. Number two, the blessed man or woman. The first word of this great sermon is blessed, happy, fortunate, blissful. This is more than emotion, but the state of God's faithful children. Jesus begins his sermon to his followers with discussing the character of his faithful children. He is teaching us what it means to follow Him, the character that they are to have in this life, the ways in which we are to image our Savior. The simplest words I read this week concerning this issue was by that of John MacArthur. He said, in this great sermon, Jesus clearly sets forth the way of blessedness for those who come to Him. True blessedness is on a higher level than anything in the world, and it is to that level that the Sermon on the Mount takes us. Here is a completely new way of life based on a completely new way of thinking. It is a fact based on a new way of being. It's because you've been born again. 
That the standard of righteousness and therefore the standard of happiness is a standard of selflessness. A standard that is completely opposite of man's impulses and unregenerate nature. That Jesus is the perfect instructor of where happiness is found because happiness is found in him. So we come before him as his children saying, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to be blessed by you. I want to find meaning and purpose and happiness and be blessed. And it's found in Christ. The blessed are those who come to him. The world has no lasting answers for the blessed life. Sure, they provide temporary answers for you in which you can find pleasures in, but that doesn't last. While God's children understand that Christ is the answer for true blessing, even in hardships, even when things are going well, that Christ is always the answer. When we as God's children, when we are not faithful, We often believe and live in such a way that our happiness or our blessing is based upon our earthly riches. What is the stock market today? What is my retirement looking like? How has my day been based on what I wanted done and what I wanted accomplished? Money, comfort, possessions, the next big thing, the new hobby that I have, or my retirement. It's not where God's faithful children are to look for or find blessing. Now, the majority of time where I have been around individuals whom I think understand what it means to be blessed by God are those who are wise and have lived a long life, and they know that they are nearing coming home. I think of Millie, 99 years old. She would get up every morning at the crack of dawn, sit in her chair and pray and wait for people to stop by and visit her. I think of people who are in the hospital who don't know if they're going to make it. Individuals who realize that they wasted a lot of time doing a lot of things that really didn't matter. That they succeeded at things that were not that important. Our worth is not in what we own. Our worth is in who we belong to. Our Savior who has purchased us. The world believes that the riches of this life, they provide happiness, that God's children are not to live like this. We are not to act like this. The blessings that the world promotes, they all fall short. And our way of thinking is to be found in the words of Christ. It is not enough to say that we know the Lord. We must be living for the Lord, which means we cherish what God has said. Number three, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who come to him. Because their salvation will never depart. The blessing of salvation never goes away. This is countercultural. We don't hear the word blessed ever connected to the word poor in this world. The Lord is speaking to his disciples, instructing them that the blessed in this life are not what you think. The blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are those whose eyes have been opened to the truth that outside of God's grace, they are spiritually dead. Those are the ones 
who are blessed. No matter how much you own, no matter what you have or don't have in this life, if your eyes have been opened to the truth that you belong to Christ and without Christ you are spiritually dead, you are blessed according to God. The poor in spirit are blessed because they grasp who they once were in their hopeless state without Christ. The blessed are poor in spirit because they know the Lord and in His unmeasurable worth. I often think of a sermon preached by Paul Washer where he says, on, on one side of the scale you can add everything, and then on the other side of the scale you can put Christ, and Christ far outweighs them all. You can think all day and write everything down and think about all the things that brought you worldly happiness. Put it on that scale. It doesn't even compare to the worth and value and the great love of the Lord. The blessed know that this life is not about them, but it's about the Lord. R.C. Sproul said it this way, to be poor in spirit in biblical terms means that someone has a poverty of arrogance. Longman III said, to be poor in spirit is not to lack courage, but to acknowledge spiritual bankruptcy. It's not a lack of courage to say that you are poor in spirit. It's actually a, it's actually a sign of maturity. It confesses one's unworthiness before God and utter dependence upon God. The poor in spirit, they understand their own poverty before God. It is an emptying of self and filling of the Lord. You have no boasting of self, but you recognize that there is no righteousness in you except that which has been imputed by that of Christ. Outside of Christ, we are spiritually bankrupt, spiritually dead, sinners deserving the holy wrath and God's just judgment. There is no self in justification before God, only grace. To stand prideful, to stand before God self-reliant, to say that you are self-sufficient before God is to stand condemned. To stand poor in spirit before God is to stand in humility, knowing that salvation is all of God, that Christ alone is the justifier. That if you take Christ out of the equation and remove him from him standing in front of you, representing you before God the Father, you have nothing. That Christ is everything. The poor in spirit see the holiness of God, but they also see their filth. The first beatitude, the first blessing is knowing our inability to save ourselves, knowing our poverty before God. And by way of reminder, this is not something that is just a one-time event. You cannot say that I looked back and I recognized my poverty. You should be recognizing your poverty every day. Coming before the Lord in prayer, I mean, bringing his request before you, being reminded of who he is, his adoration, his worth, that we are to worship him, and then we can bring before him our sins, and we confess them before a holy God because he's worthy. Or as John prayed earlier, we often come before the Lord and we are not so overwhelmed with the thankfulness that we have received from the Lord. The first beatitude, the first blessing is knowing our inability to save ourselves. You are the poor in spirit. You understand your poverty before God. When it comes to justification before God, when it comes to our salvation, 
we have come to terms with the truth that we have nothing to bring to the table. When it comes to following Jesus, we are dependent upon Him and we fear Him, for we are commanded to follow His words. The blessed are the poor in spirit. The cursed are everyone else. The only other category besides being blessed are those who are cursed. No one is neutral before God. This has made so much a popularity thing today in church and as Christians in the life of worshiping God that there is a gray area, there is a neutral area, there is an area in which, well, you're either saved or you're not. And there's like, well, there's this area where you're searching for God. No, no one searches for God, not one. No one is neutral before God. You are blessed or you are cursed. The cursed are the ones who are prideful. They are arrogant. They are self-promoting. They are those who have misled souls or they themselves are being misled. They believe that God is love, but God is not a punisher of sin. If you are not poor in spirit, you are rich in self. If you are not poor in spirit, you are cursed because God's wrath abides on you. And before God, you are condemned, meaning you are without grace, you are without salvation, you are without Christ. But one day your knee will bow and your tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and then you will depart from him and you will spend forever in hell under the wrath of God because you will forever continue to hate God. You will gnash your teeth at him, continue to sin against the holy God, and you will forever be punished. If you're not poor in spirit, you are rich in self. The cursed are the ones who have a wrong view of God and a wrong view of self. They have created a God who does not exist or they don't believe in God at all while elevating who they are at their core. The Jews at this time who Matthew was writing to They thought themselves to be justified based upon who they were and not upon the promised Messiah. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Let's look at a perfect picture in which Jesus paints in understanding this for us. Luke 18, beginning in verse 9, is a perfect picture of the blessed and the cursed. Their attitude, their behavior that they put forth as they were about to pray. Luke 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to come to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now in our minds, we've already made the conclusion, who's who? The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You see lots of eyes in there, don't you? I, I, I. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee in this parable was cursed. He was self-righteous. His reliance was self. His reliance was not the Lord. He was not justified 
he thought way too high of himself. The tax collector in this parable was blessed. He was the poor in spirit. His reliance was upon that of the Lord. He was justified. He was overwhelmed with God's grace and mercy. You see, the kingdom of heaven is not about pride before God. The kingdom of heaven is about that of humility before God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So how do we know if we are poor in spirit? John Calvin said, He only who is reduced to nothing in himself and relies on the mercy of God is poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are dependent upon Christ alone for their salvation. A lot of times we hear the word alone and we forget what alone means. That it's not based upon what you have done or will do for the Lord. It's not based upon your attendance. It's not based upon your thoughts. That you come before God realizing that he has purchased you by the blood of his son. And it's all of grace. We add nothing Those who are poor in spirit, they take the words of Jesus. He will save his people from their sins as Christ is doing all the work. Not me. The poor in spirit look to God. They don't look to self. And this is not just for justification. This is also for the sanctification in their life. You are continuing to look to God and rely upon the Lord. They know that they are poor in the inward man. Not just when they were redeemed, that they're poor in the inward man, even now desperate for the Lord. The poor in spirit increase in relying upon the Lord while decreasing in reliance upon self. The poor in spirit, they feed on the Word of God to know the Lord. They are hungry to know Him and to please Him more. The poor in spirit pray like Jesus. Desiring the Lord's will, not their own. The poor in spirit put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit of God. The poor in spirit trust Christ in their situation. Not for what will happen or could happen, but they trust Him no matter what happens. They are joyful in that they belong to him. Their joy is not their present circumstance or their difficult trial that they are in. The poor in spirit, they want their life to be a sweet aroma to the Lord no matter what happens to them. They love God and they care about his commands. Years ago, our family adopted a stray dog. He was homeless. On day one in spending time with this dog, You could tell there was something different about him. On day one, he recognized where he was and what he had been given. This truth cannot be over-exaggerated. It cannot be greatly multiplied beyond what we can think or imagine that God saves a sinner by his grace and the greatest exchange in the world has ever taken place. That our sin has been covered and has been removed as far as the east is from the west. It's spiritual death that we once inhibited our life has now been given spiritual life. That God, our Father, our Father, 
God our Father is now our Father and Satan is no longer our Father. That sanctification is occurring in our life. That God is seeing to that. That hell is no longer our destination, but heaven is now our destination. Glorification is promised, therefore it will take place. That we have been adopted into a family. That we have a church and we we can worship with and walk along and encourage others. We have everything that we need for this life and the next in Christ. It is not the rich to whom the kingdom of heaven belong, but it is the poor in spirit. It is the poor in spirit who come to the feet of Christ to listen, to love, and to obey and to please their master. The words John 14, 15, if you love God, you will keep his commands. If you think that's legalism, you don't understand what it means to be poor in spirit. You don't have a clue. Those who keep his commands, they are the ones who are poor in spirit. In this life, we can think so much about something that eventually we think it is real, even if there is no foundation for it. But we must be very careful not to believe something about God that His Word has not revealed. Charles Spurgeon said it best, in my opinion, the way to rise in the kingdom is to sink in ourselves. Later on, Jesus taught His disciples, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. The way to rise in the kingdom is to sink in ourselves. That your race, your class, your age, your works has nothing to do with your entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Your natural birth cannot result in salvation. A spiritual birth is required, and that spiritual birth is all of grace. Are you poor in spirit? To be rich in the blessings of God, you must be first poor in spirit. Are you growing in your desire to please the Lord? Or are you growing in the pleasing of self? I've thought a lot about my own life and the life of those around me. For many of us, we don't think about the things of God because we're so busy looking at our screens. We are so consumed with buying the next thing, hearing what somebody else has said, when we have all from what God has said. Are you poor in spirit? Do you desire to imitate these beatitudes for the glory of God? Or do you just simply say, it's all of grace? No, yes, it is all of grace. But yes, you need a desire to imitate these things in the beatitudes. These eight beatitudes, they show us the heart of Christ. Are you dependent upon self for your righteousness? Or are you dependent upon all of Christ? If you are growing in self-confidence, you can be sure that you are not poor in spirit, but rich in pride. Come to Christ empty-handed and be saved. Call on Christ for salvation. C.S. Lewis said, The real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or see yourself as a small, dirty object. It is better to forget about yourself altogether. J.C. Ryle said, humility is the first letter in the alphabet of Christianity. We must begin low if we would build high. 
So perhaps you're here today and you're sure of your salvation. Are you praising God for your salvation? Are you remaining an obedient child who is poor in spirit? Or have you allowed pride to come in and to overwhelm that sense of poverty that you have before the Lord? Are you growing in dependence upon the Lord? Are you growing in dependence upon self? Are you looking for happiness in the things of this world? I'm always reminded of this around individuals who are older in age. We celebrated Amy's grandma's birthday yesterday, turning 90 years old. You learn a lot from individuals who are 90 years old about what they've gone through, what they have seen, what they have experienced, and usually at some point, what really matters. Happiness is not found in the things of this world. Are you seeking temporary blessings from Christ or are you seeking to humbly please Christ? If, if you're seeking the pleasures from Christ and Christ alone and not just seeking to please Him, you've got it reversed. When, when you seek Christ to please Him, to know Him, to want to do everything you can for Him, those blessings of Him will change and alter the way you think and how you live. Come before the Lord with your ways and your desires. Confess your pride today, asking for forgiveness. Come before the Lord forgetting about self. Come before the Lord just hungry for more of Christ. This sermon, this sermon is for God's children. He shows us how to live here. He shows us what to do with our lives. So are you coming before the Lord, spending time with Him? Are you coming to the realization of what you do not bring to the table? The real test of being in the presence of God is you either forget about yourself altogether or you're reminded that you're a dirty object it is better to forget about yourself altogether. That's why when the Lord taught us to pray, he says, I want you to be reminded of the adoration of everything that God is, that he is the greatest and the first of all beings, that he is exalted, his name is exalted, that he is worthy of all of our praise, of all of our worship. And then after reminding ourselves of who God is, we come before him confessing our sins laying them before a holy and mighty God, seeking to please him with our life, that we would please him by obeying his commands. Are you dependent upon self for your righteousness, which is none? Or are you dependent solely upon the Lord? Father, I thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for this sermon. Lord, the picture of your disciples just learning about who you are and just being called to you and coming and sitting at your feet and needing to be taught by you, Father, I pray that we would never, ever, ever lose that as your people. That how important it is for us to come before you to remember blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Father, take away our pride. We think too high of ourselves and we think too little and low of you. Transform our minds by allowing us to spend time in your word, being reminded of what you have said, who you are. Remind us that true blessing is that we belong to you. That no one can snatch us out of your hand. That true blessing is recognizing that we bring nothing to the table. And Father, those who are prideful, who think so much of themselves, would you humble them today by your Spirit, convict them of their sin, and draw them to you. Father, may we as your children walk this path of life this week excited and joyful to please you, making much of you no matter what happens to us. It's in Christ's wonderful name we pray and ask all these things. Amen.